Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we are delving into books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are continuing on with my current unit, which is on the great detective novel, uh, Mm -hmm. which we Mm -hmm. kicked off a few weeks ago with a Sherlock Holmes story, The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and we are continuing this week with another classic, uh, Murder on the Orient Express by Agatha Christie. Um, But before we get into all of that, Anna, would you like to tell us a little bit about detectives and the novels that started? Yeah. All right, guys, here's a little bit about books. Um, So detective fiction, guess what? It's... That's what it is. It's books about detectives. So what can I tell you? A lot, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So (laughs) there are actually quite a few examples of um, detective fiction or like the early prototypes of detective fiction all the way back through ancient literature. Like there's a Bible story that has kind of like a whodunit sort of situation. There's um, Oedipus Rex that one of the plays has like a little bit of a of a mystery to it um but the first like detective story is actually found in 1001 nights the three apples story i don't know have you you've read those right no i don't Mm. know why you would assume that because it's like that's like i don't know it seems up your alley i've read um parts of 1001 nights specifically the one story where they refer to um, someone's dick as his pizzle because I thought that was sweet. really funny as like a 12 year old. Sweet, sweet. So I remember <laughs> that one, but that's, I might've read some others, but they didn't have enough of an impact on me. I gotcha. Remember this three apples story. <laughs> well, there was one and it was about three apples and there was a mystery. But the thing about this detective was he like, didn't care about solving the crime. Like, he didn't actually solve the crime. The person at the end like confessed. So, oh, so um, how I would solve a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Basically you just like hear a lot about it and ask a lot of questions. And then the person's finally like, okay, it was me. Fine. I'm I did so- it tired of this detective novel I'll just tell you in order to get out of it you're just doing so badly I just need to tell you it was me um (laughs) solved by incompetence yet again (laughs) there are also um examples of detective fiction throughout like um Chinese literature throughout history but the their detective novels tend to center more around like a magistrate solving some sort of legal Mm. thing um So we don't really see this established in Western literature until about 1841 when Edgar Allan Poe published his short story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had basically like the prototype for Sherlock Holmes in this story, um, a detective called C. Auguste Dupin. Yes, so much so that in the first... Uh, when we were talking about, I believe, Sherlock Holmes, I referenced this as a Sherlock Holmes story, and I had to cut that out of the episode because oh. I forgot it isn't a Sherlock Holmes story. Oh, you shouldn't have. You should have <laughs> left it in, so then we could have all been like, actually. <laughs> this dude, he was like, let's use logic and my observations to solve the crime. And then Sherlock Holmes, I guess they like just chilled. I don't know. Then Sherlock Holmes came up in like 1887, and... Uh, really codified the trope, as we talked about last time. So detective novels, there is a book 
called The Introduction to the Analysis of Crime Fiction that kind of has eight rules for what detective fiction should have in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, number one, there is a crime, usually a murder, committed at the beginning of the book. Two, there are a variety of suspects and they all have different motives. Three, the central character acts as a detective, either formally or informally, like a cozy mystery versus an actual hired detective professional. Um, the detective will collect evidence. They'll interview suspects and witnesses. Then they solve the mystery and reveal the criminal, and the criminal is arrested and punished. Those are those are the rules. Was that eight? One, two, three, four, five, six. That was seven. I don't know where. That's all I wrote down. I don't know if there's oh, another no. one in there. Apologies. Well, <laughs> Well, I guess everybody's got to go read that book now to to, to find out the answer. Yeah, let us know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So cool. We have have some rules for what these books are supposed to be. The golden age for detective novels pops up in between the World Wars 1 and 2. And we get a lot of British authors, such as Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers, writing these long series of detectives going out and solving just absurd amounts of murder. Cool. That's all I wanted to say about that. Now we... <laughs> I'm very organized today. Um, <laughs> so then we get, like, to the great detectives. So we have Sherlock Holmes. Agatha Christie created Poirot and a few other, like, Miss Marple. Um, it's, like, these these very intelligent characters who can just, like, look at people's behaviors and think about what happened, and that is how they solve the crimes. Um, so the great detective is usually like an amateur sleuth or private detective because cops are always bad at their jobs in these stories. Cops are stupid and ineffective. Also real life, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) and these stories usually stay away from supernatural elements. I think Hound of Baskervilles was a little bit of like a bluff. Like people were like, oh, oh, Sherlock's gonna go solve a ghost story. No, it wasn't ghosts. Dang it. Yeah. Um, and the great detective usually has some sort of like arch enemy who is, who has the same powers as them, but mm. does them for evil, like Moriarty being a consulting criminal or whatever. Does Paul Rowe have one? You know, I don't know. It is. I've only read like three mm-hmm. Poirot novels, and I haven't. The last, the, this was the most recent one I read, and it was in twenty seventeen. So I don't really remember. I know he has like another sidekick that's usually with him, but. Mm. I don't know. He's just such a nice dude obsessed with his mustaches. I just don't believe he would have an enemy. Um, (laughs) His enemy, clean-shaven Bill. (laughs) Uh, As we've kind of hinted at, there's usually also a Watson-type character who is the audience surrogate, basically there to be like, here is here is like the an- the obvious answer, and then for Mm -hmm. the detective to be like, no, no, you dummy, no, no. (laughs) Um. And actually, I thought it was kind of cool. I was reading that this great detective trope, um, or when when Edgar Allan Poe wrote his detective story, he based it off of this real person mm-hmm. named, oh my God, I looked up how to pronounce this on YouTube, and I, I'm going to try, I hope I didn't forget, um, Eugene Francois Vidoc was like sure, this French criminal who basically did, like, catch me if you can for the first 34 years of his life. Like, he kept going to jail and then escaping and then pretending to be other... I don't know. He has a really cool life. I really want to read a book or watch a movie about him. But he was, like, this real dude from the early 1800s in France 
who was a career criminal. And then when he was 34, he's like, I'm tired of being a criminal. I want to be, I want to be free. So he called up the cops and he was like, hey, um, can I work for you guys now? I have a lot of experience with how to do a crime. Can I work for you? And they're like, yeah, okay, I guess. And he created like a whole detective force in France made of ex-criminals only. And they like really kind of like wrote the book on both fictional and non-fictional detective work. They like some of the stuff that he came up with was like working undercover or using ballistics um, and keeping records and like doing fingerprints and forensics and stuff. Like he was like a really smart dude, I guess, and seemed very interesting. Um, But I thought it was kind of neat. So obviously like the great detectives kind of. Well, Sherlock a little bit because he, like, in some versions, like, you know, he's, like, drug problems and stuff. But they tend to stray away from, like, the criminal element and mm-hmm. are mostly on the straight and narrow goody two-shoes. But it's kind of interesting that they yeah. they were, came from him. Um, And, yeah, there's, like, a couple critiques of the genre. Obviously, like, plausibility. Like, Miss Marple lives in a really tiny town in England, and she solves, like, two murders a year. Like, that's... That's a lot of murders for people to do, or like Poirot, who goes. Like, so I, I usually like there's not that much centralized murder. Like <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then obviously like technology, kind of, um, it makes it makes the detective like writing about detectives and like the mm-hmm. the situations that detectives would get in just seem really implausible once you have technology like cell phones and things. So a lot of people get around that. They're like, hey, historical mysteries are good. I feel like also there's kind of been a bit of a resurgence. I'm thinking more like on TV versus um, Mm -hmm. books. I don't know much about detective mystery genre now and what the trends are, but I feel like Mm -hmm. for kind of like procedurals, there was a, when procedurals kind of like law and order and stuff kind of like really became big, it was mainly teams. And then kind of like in the late 2000s, it kind of shifted to like, the genius detective yeah like where it was like you know you had like Sherlock and you had like the mentalist and you had like the lie to me or whatever Um, oh my god I forgot about that show mm -hmm. yeah where there's like more of that sort of like maybe there's still a team but it's there's this one central guy who's a genius and really good at whatever crime solving thing he does you (laughs) know David Boreanaz (laughs) yeah yeah so you know I feel like I feel like that's kind of a Maybe it kind of got a little bit of a resurgence there, but maybe not. Maybe it's just me not remembering when shows came out. I think in literature, it's it's the historical mysteries, I feel like, are really big right now. But it's always Mm. like a, a female detective who was like a society lady sort of situation like maybe not she doesn't always have to be like fabulously wealthy but she's definitely like middle class and up and she goes and she solves crimes while looking super hot or is super (laughs) sassy you know I I don't know I'm that's like my thing I'm a sucker for those narratives so Mm -hmm. please give them all to me (laughs) um yeah that's kind of this whole thing and so we read Murder on the Orient Express which is probably I don't want to say like it's the most famous Agatha Christie novel, but maybe it is. I don't know. Agatha Christie is like the most published author, period. Um, So this book maybe is one of the most published books, period. Um, What did you think? Because I feel like I know what you think, but I want to hear it. Well, what do you think, I thought? I think you thought that 
the because you you texted me several theories that you had at several different mm-hmm. points in the book, and I my guess is that you thought Christy and therefore or Poirot and therefore Christy was just too like clever with the twist at the end and it was a little show offy would be my assumption. I think here's what I'll say. I liked this one a lot more than the Sherlock Holmes one we read, mm-hmm. um, and part of that was um, that I liked the case that they were solving. I found it more interesting. There was more drama mm-hmm. to go on there. Uh, so I could kind of like, without getting too deep into the ending of this, I would argue that human relationships play a lot bigger part in this than mm-hmm. uh, being a smarty smart pants, right? Uh, yes, um, yeah. And I felt that Poirot was significantly more psychologically driven than Sherlock, where Sherlock was a lot of like, ah, mustard stain type Mm -hmm. of detecting, right? Yes, Um, So I did like that. I don't know. I think that overall I liked this book. Yes. But so much of it was because of the ending that I don't know that that will carry into future books because so it's kind of like... you did like the ending. Yeah, I really liked oh, the ending. Oh, okay. I thought you wouldn't like it because it kind of comes out of nowhere to me, but... No, and I'll explain why I liked it when we okay. get there. But okay. um, it... It, and it was interesting, actually, because like you said, this is like one of the most famous, if not the most famous Poirot novel. Like, I don't think I can name another one off the top of my head, mm-hmm. although probably you'll say one and I'll be like, oh, yeah, duh. Um, Mysterious Affair at Styles. No. See, death on the Nile. One. Death on the Nile. The death of Ra- Richard Ackroyd, I think. Is no, I don't think called? so. I don't know. That's the other um, like really big one. But uh, I didn't I didn't. This wasn't spoiled for me somehow. Like I had. That's awesome. I feel like most mysteries like that are this old like have been done so many times mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. kind of have like you might not know the specifics but you kind of have like a general like oh yeah I know where this, this is, is going because going. I you know they joked about it on this or that or whatever yeah um but yeah I didn't I wasn't I I saw the pieces coming together eventually uh but I wasn't like oh yeah I remember this you know mm-hmm. yeah I think I think that's true I think the ending of Murder on the Orient Express isn't one that's done a lot. Like, you get a lot of train murder mysteries, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think that aspect of it gets um, parodied or pastiched. Is that a word? Yeah, I feel like actually, like, <laughs> again, jumping ahead a little bit here, but at the end there's kind of two possible endings proposed by Poirot, and we're supposed to yeah. understand that one is true and one is false. And I feel like the one that is false gets parodied more than the one that's true. Like, I feel like yeah. that scenario like or not even parodied but like people have done that in other mysteries that I've seen of like oh mm-hmm. it was a sneaker honor the whole time yeah. you know <laughs> a sneaker honor <laughs> yes yeah but I, I do think it's interesting that um because I think when I first read this too I didn't know how it was going to end mm-hmm. um and so there, and, and I know when Michael and I went to go see the movie in theaters he didn't know how it was going to end so it, it's like it's kind of like a well-kept secret i guess for being such yeah. a famous book um but i'm glad you liked it if you are a person who likes mysteries and want to keep it a well-kept secret don't uh, listen anymore we're, we're going to be getting to the plot pretty soon i'd say for recommendations people who like mysteries this seems like a good one to me this is so good yes and and the thing about agatha christie is like i feel like her books are so accessible they're so easy mm-hmm. to read and they're so funny still. 
Um, I just, I think there is an Agatha Christie book for everybody. This one might be yours. So if you're at all interested, go read it first. It's it's a shorter book. Shouldn't take you long. Listen to the Dan Stevens audiobook because he does an accent for every character. It is delightful. His Mrs. Hubbard is amazing. Love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's on Scribd. So if you subscribe to that, the book and audiobook are both on there. It's definitely one of those classic books that people still read enough that like mm-hmm. libraries it have gets lots published of copies. Yeah. 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 There's like a really beautiful edition of all the Agatha Christie books out that I want to collect right now, but that is beside the point. Um, I think that Agatha Christie writes unlikable characters in such a fun way that you do kind of end up liking them. Like, um, I don't know. I, I just think she she is very good at poking fun at people, but, like, not being too malicious about it. Mm. And, like, poking fun at stereotypes and stuff. Um, but that's why, that's why I like her book so much more than I think I like the Sherlock Holmes ones. Because the Sherlock Holmes, it's kind of, it's just snooty, right? That's yes. just, like, pure uh, egotistical, like, Sherlock bullcrap. In both cases of these great detectives, I feel like Holmes and by exemption to somewhat uh, Conan Doyle, are like, ha you dumb idiot reader. You're never <laughs> going to figure this out. And like, this was more like, oh, my sweet, stupid child, come with me. I'll show you. Like, yeah. <laughs> sort of vibe. <laughs> I, will, I will comb my mustaches and take you with me on this journey. Neither one trusts that you can figure it out, but like, it's a different approach to how they're going to explain it to you. Yes. And, and I feel like, I don't know, when Poirot, like, makes fun of people I feel like he's doing it with like such love like (laughs) the Mm. part where he's like talking to his friend who was like the Watson of this book and he's like oh I see you need me to explain it with fewer syllables (laughs) I'm like that's (laughs) I don't know it just didn't seem mean it sounds mean I guess it sounds very mean when you say it (laughs) (laughs) they're just like good friends just having a good time trying to solve a murder on this train on a train who doesn't love it (laughs) all right so plot hercule poirot finds himself on a train bound to london um after he did some other murder mystery solving in another like um in istanbul i think and he's coming back from there to go to london and um or he gets a note and the note's like we need you back in london asap and so he tries to book this train the orient express but it's completely booked up which is really weird for this time of year it's winter um, they're going through the mountains. There's lots of snow. It's very unusual for the train to be booked this time of year. Fortunately for Hercule Poirot, he runs into Monsieur Bouc, who is um, his personal friend and also the director of this railway. So he's like, I'm going to get you on this fucking train, dude. Let's go. So um, all of first class is booked, much to, uh, much to their – what is the fucking word? Chagrin. Chagrin, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Poirot, he's a little bit of a fancy boy. He likes he likes the fancy things in life and needs to pamper his mustaches. Um, mm. They get him in a second class compartment um, that he's sharing with a man named Hector McQueen, who's played by Josh Gad in the movie. It's the, like the only I, I kept like referring to these people in my notes by the people who played them in the movie, but there's not like a direct one to one like some of the characters were. Reading. Yeah, the book I ended up the copy I ended up reading has like it was like one of those movie tie-ins, so it's got. And it was weird on Kindle because, like, I wasn't expecting it. Because, you know, usually if you get a movie tie-in book, 
uh-huh. which you usually don't do unless you're like 12. But if you get one, <laughs> like the usually there's the like of it. there's the pictures in the middle and you're prepared I for it because it's a different consistency, right? Mm-hmm. But I just got to the end of this book and suddenly there were just a bunch of pictures of like Johnny Depp and shit. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? I forgot Johnny Depp played Ratchet. <laughs> right. So this train is fully booked. They get on. Um, there's a lot of other passengers. Here are the other passengers on this train. So this book is like, it's structured very interestingly. Like, it's basically like, here's the introduction. Here's how Poirot gets on the train. And here are the other people on the train. Then the crime happens. And then there's a large chunk of the book that's just called, like, The Evidence. And it is Poirot interviewing every single person in order and then searching all of their rooms in order. And then there's, like, a third part of the book that's, like, The Solution. And it's basically, like, Poirot sits down and thinks. And then that is there is the solution to the crime. Which, this was the other thing I wanted to talk about why I liked this book, because I felt like this was also a way we've talked about, well, actually, I don't know if we talked about, like, I'm generally not good at figuring out mysteries, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that is, like, I can't hold details in my mind when I'm reading like that, like, mm. I, I can't, like, hold the specifics like that, uh-huh. so it was very helpful for me to, for it to be organized in this way, where yes. at the end, they, like, <laughs> one at a in, time, yes, and then at the end, he, like, literally includes a, like, here's what we know, and it's, like, a list of everybody, yes, and, like, like, yes, it's, like, here's why they are suspicious, here's where they were, like, I'm, like, thank you, this yes. is perfect, and there's, like, a diagram of the train, this. too, yes. and you can see who's rooming with who and everything, yes, <laughs> yes, this was, like, what I needed from my DM for me to figure out what, what yes. the mystery was leading to, like, like I said, this is just an accessible book, everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be intimidated because it is written in the 30s and it is a famous mystery novel. Just just get into it. It's so good. Um, My first time reading this, the only way I was really able to tell the difference between all the characters was by Dan Stevens doing all the different voices. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so here are the other passengers on this train. We have Mary Debenham, who's played by Daisy Riddle. Um, and she's an Ridley. English governess who is headed back to London after working in Baghdad for a while. And Colonel John Arbuthnot, who is a colonel, also heading back to London from Baghdad. And they claim, Mary and Colonel Arbuthnot claim they don't know each other, but Poirot overhears them having this conversation that's really sus. And she's like, no, not until this whole thing is over. I just can't. I just can't deal with it. I'm so stressed out about everything that's about to happen. And Poirot's like, hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> we have Caroline Hubbard, who is just a loud American woman who is, like, first time traveling abroad, has a lot of very American things to say about everything that's going on that's not in America, and she loves her daughter that she talks about all the time. Um... The princess, Natalia Dragomirov, who is a rich Russian princess, who is very ugly. <laughs> Just hideous. Just the ugliest woman you've ever seen. Looks like a toad. But like a toad, her eyes are like jewels that sparkle and hint at some greater knowledge. And I was like, are yeah. toad's eyes like that? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, every toad I have seen right before they like get their sticky tongue out to grab a fly contemplating life's mysteries like hmm there's a deep soul under that toad (laughs) what a what a like pickup line like you have the eyes of a toad i'm gonna try it next time do it please report back with your success rates let me just get on hinge real quick yeah looking for toad-eyed partner (laughs) with that (laughs) 
can't I can't like literally I kind of wanted to do that for the bit for the podcast and see if somebody messaged me back during this podcast but that would be too mean even for like <laughs> oh oh sorry not interested was just making a joke for about four people not even <laughs> not interested more like even if I was interested I just said you have toad eyes that's, that's mean. true too <laughs> <laughs> without the context of being a big Poirot fan like you're not gonna be like mm, that was a good line you have to be like such a Poirot fan that's the only thing you think about because <laughs> right <laughs> um we also have princess dragomiroff's german maid hildegard schmidt um a swedish missionary named greta olsen who Truly is rooming with mary debenham could not keep track of the fact that the german maid and the swedish missionary were different people <laughs> they're both very timid quiet women yes yeah, still don't really know how they played into things at the end <laughs> <laughs> i will do my best to tell you by reading the wikipedia article um rudolf andrenyi and his wife elena who are a hungarian count and countess who have like some kind of diplomatic immunity which is to say that they are diplomats and so everyone is afraid to question them mm. Um, Antonio Foscarelli, who is an Italian car salesman, um, an American dude named Cyrus Hardman, who at first he's like, I'm a businessman, but then like really early on in the game, he's like, okay, that was a lie. I'm actually a detective from America. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Samuel Ratchet, who is also American and Poirot notes that this dude looks really evil. He's just like some rich dude, um, doing the rich equivalent of backpacking across Europe, I guess. And Hector McQueen, who is Ratchet's secretary, also American, and Edward Henry Masterman, who is Rich R- Ratchet's British valet, or valet, depending on valley where in the where in the world you live. Anyway, they're all on this train. Uh, they make a stop somewhere. Poirot is able to get his own room. Everyone is happy about this. <laughs> um, during dinner. Ratchet asked Poirot to guard him slash find out who's trying to kill him because Ratchet has been getting these threatening notes um, letters in the mail and Poirot's basically like I don't like your face so no I'm not gonna work for you you look very evil to me so gonna pass I will say there was a bit of the like Holmesian phrenology stuff in this where there was a bit of that like maybe less so with Ratchet because like spoiler he is evil but like (laughs) there's a lot of British people do things this way and Italians do things this way. Yeah, Italians are so passionate and they use knives to kill. Right, like some (laughs) of it's like presented as jokes, but some of it I feel like was pretty straightforward. Just like these weird stereotypes about people based on like... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, That night, Poirot, Poirot tries to sleep, but he cannot because the train has stopped due to snow. Um... There was too much snow on the train tracks. They are stopped until someone can clear it away, or I guess until it melts. I don't fucking know. Um, And as he's trying to fall back into sleep on this silent train car, he there are several things that make it near impossible. So the first thing that happens is the conductor um, goes to Ratchet's room after hearing like some loud thumping sounds and a bell. So I guess like on the train, 
you hit a bell and it, when you're in first class, I'm sure they don't do this for like economy, but um, when you're in first class, you have a little bell in your room and you can ding it. And the conductor who is just this dude that sits at the end of your train car waiting for your summons comes and does whatever you want him or her to do. Um, probably just him. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Probably just him. Um, so <laughs> the bell from Ratchet's room goes off and uh, the conductor goes and he's like, hey, everything cool? And this voice calls out in French. It's like, yeah, I'm fine. Sorry, hit the bell on accident. Um, and Poirot's like, mm, okay, I will remember this because I am Poirot and I remember everything. Uh, and then like a little while later, uh, this bell keeps ringing like incessantly from Mrs. Hubbard's room. And um, the conductor goes there. Apparently, she's all freaked out because she says a man has entered her cabin. And she wants the conductor to uh, search the entire cabin looking for this man. No one is found. She's still freaked out, though. Um, And the last thing is, as Poirot's falling asleep, someone bumps into his door. um, And he opens it and he sees, like, this woman in a red silk kimono hurrying down the hallway of the train. And he's like, hmm, what a lot of things that have happened tonight. I'm going to go to bed now. Everyone shut the fuck up. <laughs> no more kimono, ladies. Please. <laughs> please. Please. Um, so the next morning, Monsieur Book goes to Poirot. And he's like, dude, there's been a murder. <laughs> Guess who died? That guy that asked you to guard him. <laughs> <laughs> <Ratchet's Oopsie. dead. laughs> yeah, oops. I guess, I guess there was some truth to that. Poirot jokes. Um. So, Monsieur Book is like, please, you have to, like, to save the honor of my train. Um, my train's like, it's gonna honor be, demands. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a while before the police can get here. So, instead of, like, waiting for the police to show up and then having them try to solve the murder, what if you just solved it first? And then when the police showed up, you were like, here's the answer. And they just let us go. Um, because, I'm sure, that's what the police would do. Um <laughs> So Poirot's like, yeah, since you are my good friend, I will do you this favor. So then we get into uh, a little bit of the investigation. So the first thing Poirot does is to go investigate the body. There's a doctor on board named Dr. Constantine. We know he didn't do the murder because he got on. He was like in a different part of the train or something. There's like the car where this murder happened and if the murderer was from a different car one of the conductors would have seen him go by or whatever yes like know that they had to be in this car yes it's very convenient so poirot has two uh two watsons with him (laughs) varying level of watson (laughs) quick get my medical watson now yeah (laughs) now i need my very emotional and suspicious watson Get me my train, Watson, post-haste. <laughs> it's not time for rich amateur Watson. I don't have anyone to accuse yet. Go sit down in your train elsewhere. <laughs> let, the, let the adult Watson and Poirot do their work. <laughs> so they go to investigate the body. Um, they find clues here that are very suspicious to Poirot. Um, first clue, handkerchief, the letter H embroidered on it. There are several women on the train whose names start with H. There's also a pipe cleaner. Only one person on this train uses a pipe. It's Colonel Arbuthnot. The body itself has like 12 stab wounds and they're all of varying like depths, I guess. So like stabbed at different strengths. I, I don't know how to explain yeah, that. Yeah, they're, the like, <laughs> they're like coming from different directions. So there's like a right hand, left hand thing. Yes. And yes. they're like... 
different yeah like depth so it's like oh this one seems to have been someone who was weak or like didn't have their heart in it or whatever yes and some of them are like we've pierced all the way through the muscle this is a strong stab this is a very manly stab yes (laughs) and dr constantine is like well also some of these stabs happened after the body was already dead so that's kind of weird I think it was a woman because women are passionate in a way that would stab a man a hundred times. <laughs> and and Miss, Monsieur Book is like, I believe it was an Italian because the murder weapon is a knife. <laughs> and so they all immediately start looking for an Italian woman. <laughs> and Poirot was like, And things silly, just get very silly. derailed. Train fun. <laughs> Uh, we also have a window that was left open, but um, there was a lot of snow. So either the snow has covered the tracks of someone who has escaped the train um, or like they got onto a different part of the train, but also like they're in the middle of nowhere. So if someone did get off the train, like where would they go? They're in between stations. So not a, like they could have gotten on at the last station stop. But then if they got off, where did, where did they go? They're in a mountain. Um, and then lastly, the only piece of evidence that Poirot was like real jazzed about is a piece of paper that they, they find like a scrap of paper in, in the fireplace or whatever. And Poirot's like, if we light it on fire again, maybe the words will show up. It will like, they'll like blaze through. I don't, it was some magic. I don't know. I didn't understand what was happening here. I didn't either. But he lights this piece of paper on fire for a second time. And a phrase pops up that is like, remember baby Armstrong or something. Maybe, maybe, okay, maybe what it is. I'm going to think about this too much. Okay, maybe do it, if though. you That's write on something with like a pen, uh-huh. the ink has a different flammability than the rest of the paper. Okay. So it would okay. either burn slower or faster than the rest of the paper. So if there's like a scrap left and you relight it, the stuff that's already burnt more or burnt less would be like more or less flamey. Mm. Maybe. So they would be different colors. Yeah, like a one ring sort of situation. Interesting. I believe that. I'd believe that. I don't, I have no uh, idea. Neither do I. I just (laughs) made this up. No, you were confident. It sounded good. (laughs) (laughs) Better go post it on Facebook. Yes, yes, please do. Um, So Poirot immediately sees Armstrong. I know that name. There was a kidnapping case in America a few years ago where a criminal named Cassetti kidnapped a little baby named Daisy Armstrong and held her for ransom, but killed the baby before he got the ransom money and just didn't tell the family. The family mm-hmm. found out and the the husband was very sad and killed himself and the mom who was pregnant had a miscarriage and like some staff there was like the nurse of the baby. Um, people were kind of harassing her because they thought she had something to do with it, but she didn't. But she killed herself out of guilt. It was a very tragic story. And the mom of the baby died of a broken heart. Yes, yes. So like, so like everybody took out the whole family. Yes, yes. And Cassidy just like fucked off to Europe. Um, there was he was like found... a mistrial or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mistrial. There was something, something. I don't know. He evaded the law, um, and he went off to Europe because. Um, who in America would want him there. So Poirot's like, now we have a motive. Cool. Gonna eat a jelly bean. Jelly bean I break. saw. I saw you <laughs> stick that jelly bean right in your face. <laughs> now Poirot interviews everybody. 
including the conductor, Pierre Michel, who I hadn't mentioned yet because this is where he's introduced. But he is also one of the people on the train <laughs> that is a suspect for this um, murder. But yes, Pierre Michel, who's a conductor, um, t- talks a little bit about like the timeline of the evening. But basically, like Poirot doesn't get a ton of information that he can use because everybody seems to be able to supply a very convenient alibi for everyone else. So um, Colonel Ab- Arbuthnot is the only one who smokes a pipe on the on the train, but he and Hector McQueen were up all night talking politics until 2 a.m. and the time of the murder was su- supposedly around 1. So, okay, that rules out Colonel Arbuthnot. Um, and then, like, all the ladies whose name starts with H are like, no, that's not my handkerchief because I'm not, I can't, I couldn't afford that nice of a handkerchief. That's like a 200-pound Frankerchief. Frankerchief. Mm-hmm. 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 That's what they're called when they're real. They were made in France. <laughs> Frankerchiefs. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a couple other people also say, like, yeah, we did see someone, uh, a woman in a red kimono, didn't get a good look at her face. Colonel Arbuthnot's like, I smelled a woman, which is really creepy. <laughs> creepy. Weird. <laughs> Weird thing to, to admit to. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I, I smelled a woman walking around. Might have been your woman with a red kimono. I don't know. Um, but none of the mean? women. What could that admit- possibly mean? You smelled a woman walking around, Colonel. What are you? It was such a about? weird, like totally suspicious too. He was like, "Oh yeah, now that you mention it, uh, I did sense a woman. I think I smelled her. I couldn't really tell you what she smelled like, just that it was like a woman's smell, and I didn't make any note of it until you just brought it up right now. <laughs> like <laughs> smooth, Arbuthnot. Yep, very smooth." Um, yeah, so none of the women will admit to owning a red kimono, obviously, because why would you if someone is asking about that if you were a murderer? But no, they're all like, no, we have boring dressing gowns, so it couldn't be us. Um, red kimono? Why, I've never even heard of the color red. <laughs> it's probably too too uh, adventurous of a color for some of these women to wear. It actually, I'm trying to remember, because I read a book on this once about uh, the, the the process of dyeing stuff red. Scarlet letter. Yeah, and it was actually, like, more expensive for a good long, good long while. Uh, mm. I think it's called In, In Search of the Perfect Red or something like that. Anyway. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because they, they used to use uh, carmine beetles to, to make oh. it, and those were, like, expensive and hard to. And then eventually they synthesized red, and it was a whole thing. Wow. Thankfully. Yeah. Couldn't have now we don't red have to worry. and purple, man. We we can have all of the the red that we want, all Good. of the red kimonos. Like we can two commit a million I crimes. Wear a lot of. <laughs> you imagine, <laughs> my skin would just look awful if I had to run around in the ni- early 1900s wearing like what brown all the time. No, I think you could probably do brown. Um, again, I feel like red probably Black? was fine at this point. Black. Uh, blue, I know, is also expensive for a while in some areas, but it's I think not by the 1900s naturally. they had sorted it out. Mm. Yeah. Colors are Yellow. Weird. I bet you could do yellow. Yellow, yeah. It's just pee on yeah, my white clothes. Yellow. <laughs> Make them yellow. Okay, well, that's a different thing where you have to introduce urine to uh, dyed clothes because it's a mordant. So people did actually used to piss on their clothes. Stop. That's I was thing. making a joke. <laughs> are you? No, but it's a real thing. <laughs> Shut up! It's a for real thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. I hate it. You could use, like, vinegar also, but, like, a lot of people just use urine. Like, you would save up urine oh and God. then use it in your dying process. 
you know, like, I know 2020 and 2021 have sucked so far, but, like, sometimes you just hear something and you're like, wow, this is much better than what they yeah. used to do. Oh, yeah. my God. Saving your pee to dye clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a couple people mention a mystery man on the um, train that they've seen in wearing a conductor's uniform. He's a small, he could be either a small man with a womanish voice or a tall woman. No one is sure. No, no way to tell. Also, I really liked how they were like, a small man would be the same size as a tall woman. And I'm like, hi, I'm Actually, six feet tall. That's not accurate. I, I thought that too. Hmm. <laughs> I have seen M stand next to all of her male family members. <laughs> this is like this was actually what gender roles used to be. It's just once you got over five four, you were officially a man. Oh like, my god, that's so awesome for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> McQueen also mentions that Ratchet had been receiving threatening notes, and he brings them out, and they're just like kind of like comically villainous. They're like, "We're gonna get you. Watch out. We're I know the do bad a thing. Stab that you on did. the train. Yeah." <laughs> I'm going to kill you the second night on the train by stabbing you 12 times. Look out. Um, And Poirot's like, oh, well, we found a note in his room that was burnt and said something about little baby Armstrong. And McQueen's like, oh, no, I thought I fucking burned that. Oh, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Weird. (laughs) Um, And then we also get the reveal Hardman was is actually a private detective. um, And he's like, oh, yeah, Ratchet hired me to guard him during the night but instead of like hanging out with him in his room or outside of his room i just went to bed in my own room and figured it would all be fine which also like point of order because he is a private detective right that's his job yes i don't know maybe the 30s were a different time but i i feel like private detective is a different job from security like yes those are two very different things and you kind of got what you paid for here yeah like I'm just thinking like you wouldn't go to like Humphrey Bogart and Maltese Falcon Mm -hmm. and be like I need a bodyguard you would be like someone stole my family's precious heirloom and I need you to beat up some guys until you find it yeah yeah (laughs) I I mean like maybe they kind of overlapped a little bit just in terms of oh, they're just guys for hire sort of thing. Maybe it's like the whole undercover thing. Like, I just want someone who can shoot a gun and be right. undercover. And people won't connect with me, so they could. But still, I mean, like, his just, job is detective. How are you going to, like, have him? How's he supposed to detect a crime before it happens, my dude? Like, Yeah, yeah. Also, like, if you're concerned about your safety and you're a rich person, why don't you just have a bodyguard? Like, why is yeah. that not just standard? I don't understand <laughs> especially if you're a rich murderer who murdered yes, a bunch of children who is getting death threats that are like we know what you fucking did to that baby and her family i guess maybe again 1930s and like different times and the train is your only option mm-hmm. i i just probably wouldn't take the train yeah also yes yeah i would walk everywhere i would walk everywhere i would walk everywhere i would never get into a vehicle with other people present no. ever Mm-mm. I mean, it's the 1930s. What can they expect from you? Yeah. <laughs> I'd bring back my horse and buggy. Mm-hmm. I'd wait till they invented the airplane and then get a private one. And th- Yes, and then get my own jet and or helicopter. <laughs> and the, the airplane all the was definitely invented by the 30s, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 When did, when did um, the Wright brothers do their thing? No, <laughs> 
M, you live in the birthplace of flight. You're right, I do. I should know more. <laughs> I should know more about... It's part of your, your heritage as an Ohioan. <laughs> I forget. Now, this is really going to, you know, be revealing how little I give a shit about the Wright brothers. <laughs> is it that they were from one of the Carolinas and did the flight in Ohio, or they were from yeah. the Ohio's and did the flight in one of the Carolinas? Because oh, I remember that was a big brouhaha. That is when a the, big thing. When the quarters started releasing and what, like Carolina were like, we did the flight thing. And yeah, it the, actually oh, might be the North Carolina li- license plate. This is birthplace or birth home yeah. or something. Birth of Flying was born here. Yeah, and I think, like, Ohioans were pissed because the Wright brothers were, like, born in Ohio. I'm pretty sure they were born in Ohio because I think that we had to do them during our, like, well, see, okay, I'm about to get on a tangent. In, like, elementary school, we had to do the Heroes from Ohio unit where everybody Uh had to dress up as an Ohio hero, and we all had to get on stage and sing, Heroes from Ohio, Heroes from our state. Uh-huh. Something Who are Ohio you? heroes. Oh my God. Here's what made them great. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Who are you? I was Harriet Beecher Stowe, which okay. sh- I was going to say the Wright brothers were two of the people you could do. So they must have been born in Ohio. But Harriet Beecher Stowe also, I don't think, wasn't born in Ohio. She just wrote most of Uncle Tom's Cabin while she was here. <laughs> So like, so the heroes of Ohio are frauds. Are just people who pass through. <laughs> this whole thing is it's just a uh, I literally think that one of them might have been Harriet Tubman as well because the Underground Railroad is big in Cincinnati and like mm. Harriet Tubman also definitely is not from Ohio, but I think that like they put that one in there too as an option. <laughs> We're really stretching. <laughs> this is a, this is a sham. <laughs> what is our educational system let's google i'm gonna google heroes of ohio and see who they could have chosen i think it's a book famous people born in ohio actually born not just did famous things there yes yes this is this is the book that we had to read it was called heroes of ohio by rick sowash i had to say okay this is kind of making me laugh because the wikipedia article is just called list of people from ohio Uh but like obviously it's not every person ever from ohio but it does seem like this is all the people that came from ohio and that's it (laughs) i mean it could be you don't know (laughs) i don't see that okay 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 here we go i've got the list of the ones that were in the book would it have just been easier to google the wright brothers hold on (laughs) hold on no 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 because so many of these i'm pretty sure are not from ohio (laughs) okay johnny appleseed he was not from ohio he was not right i don't know he i thought he was fake for a long time no he's real but Uh, yeah i know that now but yeah he was he was uh he passed through ohio but he was born in... Okay, they flew the plane in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And they worked in Dayton, Ohio. They were born in Dayton, Ohio. There you go. Okay, Chapman was born in Massachusetts. That's Johnny Appleseed, so that's Wait, one. They weren't... One of them was born in Indiana, the other was in Ohio. Anyway, sorry, go Okay, on. so we've got half of the Wright brothers. Yes. Count. They both died in Ohio. Johnny Chapman does not count. He just passed through. Uh, Simon <laughs> Kenton, don't know who that is. <laughs> what is this podcast episode? <laughs> the point is hey you all have steve you. harvey uh annie oakley was she from ohio that can't be right anyway the point is they all made us dress up as these these people and half of them apparently weren't even from ohio like <laughs> but okay anyway and then the point before that was i can't remember when planes were invented and the point before that was, if I was rich, I wouldn't travel on a train. And now we're back at the main point of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> trains, trains bad. 
A tangent within a tangent within a tangent. It was very good and worthwhile. Everyone will have enjoyed listening to it. Okay, so after all of the interviews are conducted, Poirot then searches each cabin because old Mother Hubbard starts yelling about finding a knife in her sponge bag in her cabin. What's a sponge bag? Is it just like a bag for your sponge, really? I think it's probably like a cosmetics bag, right? Like a toiletry bag? Yeah, toiletries bag. Okay. Would be my thought. She finds a knife in there. I guess hers wasn't clear. Because if it was, she would have noticed the knife immediately because mm-hmm. it's covered in blood. So so then Monsieur Book's like, do you think you should, like, search the rest of the train compartment? And Poirot's like, oh, yeah, probably. I guess we can do that. So <laughs> they go to each room. Um, he finds a lot of nothing. But he does find some things. He goes to the Count and Countess Andrenyi's, um compartment. And he finds a her suitcase is wet and also her passport has a smudge on it that he is like "Mm, weird i'll make note of that um and hildegard has actually uh the mysterious conductor uniform was found in her luggage and poirot's like no no i know it wasn't you that did it because like if you did do it why would you hide the uniform here in your luggage that would be dumb so you're innocent probably and then Poirot actually finds the red kimono on top of his own suitcase after he's done um, searching everyone else's uh, searching everyone else's cabins. He goes back to his, and he um, the the red kimono is just there. He's and then like, he has to look himself in the mirror and be like, "No, no, don't worry, you're innocent. If you had really done it, the red kimono <laughs> wouldn't be here. I know you're innocent." <laughs> Oh, he actually has like some some line where he's like, "Oh, so this is how you want to play the game?" Like yeah, something really yeah, like, stereotypical. Like, <laughs> he's just talking to himself. It's like, "Wish someone was here to hear my cool lines." I guess keep on quipping. <laughs> yeah, you know. Sometimes you just gotta quip for yourself, you know. <laughs> uh then we get to the part of the book where Poirot sits down in his thinking chair and think, think, thinks. <laughs> he basically like. He does what, like what Em mentioned earlier. He like has he's like here's the questions we still need to have answered, and he goes through and they try to answer them as best they can. Him and him and his two Watsons, uh, and he's like also here's a list of everyone and why they're suspicious and other like weird circumstances surrounding their personage, um, and then he's like okay everyone now let's meditate, and Monsieur Book is like I bet it was an Italian woman. And he like rants on about that in his thoughts, and then <laughs> Doctor Constantine like, like has, shit, huh? <laughs> and Doctor Constantine has like pornographic thoughts about his mistress, and then <laughs> and then Poirot opens his eyes and he's like, "Well, did everyone think?" And they were like, "Uh, yeah, we we did." And Poirot's like, "Good, I've solved the mystery, but first we have to bring some people back in." Okay, so the first people he um, brings in, or the first person, I guess, um, is the Countess Andrenyi. And he's like, yo, got some questions about your real name. It's not Elena, is it? It's Helena. Uh, And they were like, how'd you know? And he's like, I noticed the spot on your passport looked like someone had changed the E-H to an E or something. Um and the count is like, no, I did it to protect my wife because you see, she is the younger sister of Mrs. Armstrong, that lady who died after her baby was kidnapped. And I didn't, and she was like the most likely suspect. So I just wanted to leave her out of it. So I swear to you, my wife had nothing at all to do with it. Which is true. She had taken a sleeping 
Draft. Draft, yes, that night and slept through the whole murder. So she did not get to not get to do a murder. And Poirot's like, interesting. So you are related to the Armstrong family. Interesting, interesting. Okay, everyone, remember that going forward. And then the next person that comes in is the Countess, no, the Princess Dragomirov. And she's like, I heard you were asking a lot of really pointed questions about a handkerchief. Well, let me just tell you, that's my handkerchief. Um, because you know how you write Natalia in Russian? The Cyrillic looks like an H. So that's mine. Give it back. <laughs> and, um, sorry, let me just... Oh, she's not the next one to come in. Shit. The next person to come in is actually Mary Debenham. And he's like, hey, you used to be a governess for the Armstrongs, didn't you? And she's like, how'd you know? He's like, I didn't until just now. You burnt. <laughs> this is also a very, like, I feel like detectives always pull this move off of them asking the question and them being like, how did you know? Mm, you just told me. Like, you that thing, confirmed. that's like a trope in itself. Yes. And just once, I really want to see it go wrong. Like, I want them to be like, <laughs> like you no, were the Armstrong's no governess, weren't you? Like, yeah. really confident? No, I no. I wasn't. I'm I'm 22. This happened, like, 10 years ago. How would that even work out? Like, <laughs> it's just like, never mind, never mind, moving on. You were the Armstrong's next-door neighbor, weren't you? <laughs> I was just throwing bluffs out. Don't worry about it. Just whatever. It's one fine. would stick. It's like they, they always say, oh, Oh, I didn't know until just now. Well, you obviously had an inkling or else you wouldn't have thrown that out there. Exactly. <laughs> like, just admit, like, you deduced it. It's fine. You were, like, 95% sure. Don't be dumb. <laughs> and so I guess word starts getting out along the people in this compartment of the train that, like, Poirot figured some shit out. So they all start coming in and telling on themselves. Like, the manservant comes in and or the valet comes in and he's like, oh, yeah, no, I used to work for the Armstrong. Sorry, I should have mentioned something sooner. I uh, didn't want you to think I was guilty. Or, like, uh, the... I think it was like the Swedish lady. Um, she's like, I was their chef. Oh, sorry, I didn't tell you. Um, and and the conductor is like, yeah, it was my daughter was the was the nurse that was accused of having a hand in this and she died. And so like, sorry, I didn't tell you guys. Um, and then it turns out that um, so Princess Dragomirov was actually like the godmother of um, the Armstrong Mm -hmm. Which I think we actually knew before this because there's this whole thing about her being like, oh, I've never seen or I haven't seen the, the, they're like both of the Mrs. Armstrong, the mother of the baby and her sister, who we eventually learn is Helena, um, Mm -hmm. are both her goddaughters. And she's like, I didn't recognize, like, I haven't seen Helena. She doesn't say Helena, but the other sister in years. And then like, it turns out Helena's on the train. It's like, okay, well. Yes. Sus, 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 sus. Yeah. So, yeah, there. (laughs) So uh, she actually she just lied to protect everybody. She didn't know who everybody was. Who else? The the Italian guy that the car salesman, he used to be their chauffeur. And he's like, sorry, I didn't tell you. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone I'm missing. Or no, it was Olsen. Olsen was the nurse. Schmidt was a cook. I don't know, dude. They're all involved. Um, and lastly, Mrs. Hubbard is revealed to be the mother of uh, the 
the Daisy Armstrong's mom. <laughs> the grandmother of Daisy Armstrong. Yeah, the grandmother of Daisy Armstrong would be a much more succinct way of phrasing that. Because um, <laughs> she, she also used to be a stage actress. So she was just pretending to be Mrs. Hubbard this whole time. They all knew who Ratchet was. And they all had a bone to pick with Ratchet. So Poirot says, all right, y'all. There are two possible solutions to this crime. One. A stranger boarded the train, killed Cassetti, and then, like, just fucking booked it out of here. And everyone's like, eh, that sounds really lame. Like, come on now. No one's going to buy that. And Poirot was like, okay, well, hold on. Keep, you might like this one better after you um, hear the second solution. And he basically lays it all out. He's like, y'all planted this really convenient evidence to try and confuse me. Y'all had your silly little alibis to try and confuse me. But you know what? Y'all went in there in the middle of the night and all stabbed him together. Y'all took turns and you stabbed him. Y'all killed him. Except for uh, Helena. Who was sleeping. Who- was sleeping and the detective the american detective who wasn't involved but they still needed 12 so the 12th one was the conductor yes yes yeah because it was 12 because it was like an american jury oh yeah that's who he 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 was like his girlfriend he was in love with the girl that killed herself so like they were just, everybody was connected in some way and so poirot gives them this big grand solution and everyone just like looks at each other and they're like yeah, we'll, we'll go with the first one, please. Option one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the end of the book. It, re- it really just ends with, they're yeah. like, mm, the first one was better. And Poirot's like, all right. Luke <laughs> is like, yeah, I'll go with, like, basically he's, like, accepting it too, right? Like, the, the head of the train line, he's like, yeah, yeah we're going to go book. with the the option one. And because y'all killed a, a baby killer, so Yeah, <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with that. He was a bad dude. Johnny Depp was evil. So here's my (laughs) question. Here's my question. Um, If you were the gardener or something for, like, a kid who was kidnapped and sadly killed, and then, like, a few years later, (laughs) a bunch of other people tangentially related to this kid were like, hey, do you want to get vengeance on that kid for that kid who was killed? Do you want to go, like, go to Budapest and, like, get on a train and then ritualistically stab a guy all together? Does that sound fun? Does that sound fun? And he'd be like, you know what? It's the most interesting thing that would have ever happened to me, so maybe. Would you Would you be down? Would you Me, partake? personally? Yes. Would, would I have to be the gardener? No, you can be... I'm just saying, like, if the... Not even, like... I'm not saying you have to be one of these characters. If I was part of the household. this situation where you are not related to the child, but you are in the household of this child. Yeah. You know, yeah, if I... Because they do talk about this in the book. They're like, well, at first, like, we were going to draw straws to see who would be the unlucky person Mm -hmm. to kill uh, this dude, but that didn't seem right. So we all decided to do it. I'd be like, yeah, if if they came to me and they're like, no, we're all going to do it together so no one can really, like tell who actually killed this man where i promise all 12 of us are gonna stab like no one's gonna back out we're all gonna stab i promise um i'd be like okay yeah i'll I'll stab because it could potentially my crime could just be stabbing a dead body (laughs) i feel like number one yeah you have to get on lockdown which order you're going in because no i don't want to go first (laughs) absolutely not like no way um but number two i also feel like 
I don't know, man. Like, it's really sad this kid died, but I'm a gardener. (laughs) You you did end up losing your job because of that. Again. (laughs) I I think the, like, the most, um, like, compelling narrative for me was at one point they were like, oh, he, because he had done this to other families, too. Like, this was his, like, thing that he did. His MO. Like, I guess you could kind of get away with, like, oh, we have to stop him from doing this again. But it doesn't seem like he has done it again since the last time. Yeah, so I, don't I think know once if he that's... got caught and had a trial, then he was like, yeah. I should probably retire. <laughs> so I feel like, I don't know, again, like, it's it's really sad. Like, the whole situation's really sad. But if I'm, like, the chef, I'm probably going to be like, I'm just going to find another chef job somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess, like... I, I don't understand, like, the dynamics between household staff and yeah. their, their families. Because um, there was a little bit of that, like, this sweet baby angel was the light of everyone's life sort of thing. Yes, and I'm we like, all loved her. That works for, like, the grandmother of this child. I can see how a grandmother or, would like, want to murder. Or, like, her nurse, her actual nurse yeah. or the governess or whatever. But, like, I, I just plant daffodils, my dude. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be involved. I came here for the flowers, and y'all are, at, like, look, the job description didn't say we're like a family. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like, honestly, that's what it is, right? It's like those, like, workplaces that are, like, we're all family. It's like, no, I have my own family. Yeah, I'm going to actually go home and be with my family every night. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, the lines must blur when you live with your employers. That's true. So, That's who's true. to say? Uh, the dude was evil, though. He did get what was coming to him. I don't feel bad for Ratchet. Yeah. I would probably help stab him if I were, like, the sixth or seventh person to go. Wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be the last because then you're really, like, at risk for getting caught. Yeah, I think I, the first. I think I would want to be the last, though. Because then I feel like if you chicken out, because even if it's a dead body, I think that would be pretty, like, gross to, like, stab a dead mm. body. Even if you know you're not the one killing him, it's like, that was still a person. You could just do recently. one of those little dainty, like, scratches. Exactly. That I feel like if you're number thing. six and number seven is standing behind you, behind you waiting for you to hand them the knife, they're going to notice <laughs> if you're, like, I have you know. wrists. I don't know what you right. want me to say. Whereas I feel like number 12 number 11 hands you the knife you kind of like fumble at it for a second and then go like okay i did it i'm gonna go hide the knife now and then like leave <laughs> i think number 12 is the ideal because you get you get to be part of the party but like you can leave early if you want you know like you yes. don't have to be as <laughs> i don't know what let us know what you guys think what order one what, through 12 would you like to you be in stab a, a body stabbing <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's also why I liked the ending of this book, though, is because, like you said, it's it's like a lot of times I feel with mysteries, especially murder mysteries. I feel another thing is like as it gets revealed, like you reveal more of the victim's life, and you're like, oh, this poor mm-hmm. tragic victim, you know, or like maybe morally gray sort of, you know. But like this guy was just evil, so I don't have to feel bad that he's dead. And also, True. no one went to jail, so like as like a anti-carceral yeah, type person like i'm like cool nobody went to jail for this crime and this guy perfect committed it. crime do i think that this is how we should handle crimes in real life no did Maybe. i enjoy it okay trial by train ride <laughs> i don't know by could train be cool. ride. you know it would be great because we would be like decreasing the uh like prisons industrial complex in our country mm-hmm. number one and number two 
more trains. Jury which... duty would just be a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, occasionally you have to stab a man, but yeah, well, you know, no system of justice pros is pros and cons. <laughs> Oh, you know there'd be a lot of people that are like, please let me have jury duty. I volunteer to you. There's a lot of people out there who would want to stab somebody. I feel like if we can do trial by train, we could like lobby for high powered, fast. Yeah, we need trains everywhere so that everyone can practice trial by train. Yeah, and I'm thinking like like bullet trains sort of. Yeah, you know, like the good ones. Yes, yes. And it would it would help with a. I don't know if that's more or less environmentally friendly than flying, but. Certainly more fun. I don't I think I'd want to do trial by plane because no. there's not a lot of privacy. No. Like, you don't get your own sleeper cap. Unless you go first class, I guess. But mm. that does seem that does seem more environmentally unfriendly. Yeah. I suspect that trains of the coal-burning variety, probably not particularly environmentally friendly. But I feel like there's, like, elect... Is this, is this a thing? Are there electric trains? Yes. The yes. bullet trains... <laughs> Yeah, they, okay. I thought they were, but then I was like, they, they are Are bullet powered. trains electric? How do bullet trains bullet? They shoot them out of a gun. They're gun-powered. Yes. <laughs> Huge cannons. No, they are electric. Okay. That's what I thought, but then I was like, am I wrong? Um, anyway, that was his book. <laughs> it was good. I loved it. Even reading it a second time. It was good. I liked it. I don't think that this has cured me of my dislike of great detectives in general, though. What would you like to see then? The thing is, I didn't really care that much about Poirot himself. I felt like I was much more interested in the mystery. So I don't know if I should tell you to lean further into that because it worked. Or if... Find a better detective. Find a detective that I care about more. (laughs) Like maybe one who's kissing people on the side. Oh, okay. I can get behind Uh, that. (laughs) I can get behind that. Let's Let's add a romance element to our mystery. I mean, that is a possibility if you want to take it in that direction. I feel 100%. like that's an easy way to get me to like a book. That is, is true. To make kissing a prevalent yes. part of it. Yes. Introduce a romantic element. Okay. Yeah. Um, I liked the moral ambiguity of the end of this. I feel like actually, like, Sherlock Holmes was... How did that one end? The dog. Uh, no, the guy yeah, just, like, could... fucked off into the swamp and no one ever Yeah, he died, him. though. So I don't like that. Like, I don't like when, like... See, is I feel like I'm un, like backtracking this thing I said, but in general, I don't like when the end of the mystery is like, and then the guy got his just desserts because like I feel like I like stuff that's more morally ambiguous, like this where it was like, well, they did kill a man, but like because but the justice system good, had failed yeah. them, and yeah, they had a good target for right. murder. <laughs> okay, unfortunately, that's a little bit hard to tell. I know you can't you really predict that, book, but I will try and read <laughs> reviews and see what people say. Cool. Cool. How about, like, do you want, like, a woman detective? Um, I feel like a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I want a woman lead, but I don't I don't feel as if I care as much about that in this case. Cool. And, and would you like to stay, like, reality or branch out? I think we have to stay in, like, realism because okay. um, I think that if we go too much, like, fantasy sci-fi, that's kind of getting into turf that I do like. Yes. Uh, so I feel like that's that might be – slightly genre bending unless you can bring me like a really good example of like a Sherlock Holmes fantasy where you know something like that where it's like very clearly still a great detective but mm. also there's fantasy elements I yeah maybe. I have a couple of things I think I think they might be a little bit too 
Mm. Spec Ficky. I don't know. I'll look. I'll look. We'll see. Okay. Well, cool. while you are uh, looking for that, nope, that doesn't work because that's future and I'm talking about past. Uh, what else have you been reading? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this week nothing. I actually, um, I was reading this book, and it's funny that you mentioned like the whole bluffing thing. Um, because reading this book for some reason really gave me a, a hankering to play, um, the Ace Attorney series, mm. um, I have, and the Nintendo Switch because, um, oh my God, Phoenix Wright does a lot of the, like, I'm just going to throw out this, uh, guess and we're going to go through the evidence and try and prove it. Um, mm-hmm. but usually we're bluffing to begin with. So <laughs> I don't know. It just put me in the mood. I really love those games. Uh, if you like visual novel games with a little bit of lawyering, a little bit of detectiving, check them out. They're on switch and on PC. And if you have a 3DS, you can also play them on there. How about you? Um, I got a couple this week. Uh, the Good. first one was this uh, shorter book. It might have been a novella. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's called The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor LaVale, um, which I did not realize going into it is a retelling of a H.P. Lovecraft story. But yeah, I haven't read any Lovecraft for like kind of obvious reasons, I feel like, in, at this point that, you know, horribly racist and stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh so and like in general I haven't read too much cosmic horror and I've kind of considered that might be an that would be a unit fun at one. some point. Yeah, right. I'm thinking maybe Halloween this year we might do cosmic horror. Yes, I've been wanting to get into that too because it just I don't know, there's something about it that Yeah. I don't know. Um but this was this was an interesting take on it. I felt like um and you know, kind of similar time periods it was like the 20s. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a quick read. It was very creepy at points. Had some good good creep creepiness and um, mm-hmm. but also like interesting interesting things to say. And again, I can't really speak to it as a retelling because I haven't read the original. But it <laughs> seems like it was a good uh, it addressed some of the things that maybe need to be addressed about Lovecraft. And then the other one that I'm reading right now is called The Conductors by Nicole Glover, which I figured fits because conductors, trains. Oh, my God. Uh, but this was uh, of the Underground Railroad variety. Um, it's a historical fantasy. I think it's a duology um, in which it is post, uh, post-Civil post War, but in a world where magic exists and people just have magic. And it's also uh-huh. uh, very much mystery stuff is happening early in this book, um, about a quarter way through. But so far, very cool uh, magic system. So that's fun. It's like based on constellations and stuff. So that's always cool. Yeah. Uh, and I like the the main character so far. So uh, so far, it's it's pretty good. Check it out. That sounds that good. sounds like a thing you'd be into. I have um, pulled up to purchase for the Kindle, but I haven't yet, a book called <laughs> The Tea Master and the Detective. This is what I was going to read. Mm. I keep doing that. It's like the second time I've done that. So this is what I was going to read. I promise I ha- was going to have things to say here uh, by Aliette de Baudard, mm. which is like a, f- I think she's a French and Vietnamese author. So obviously I have probably butchered the French, but it's like a, it's like a sci-fi detective situation. It says, in this fluid society, human and mindship avatars mingle in corridors and in function rooms, and physical and virtual realities overlap. And there's a murder. And it's only 70 pages. So I was like, I'm going to knock this out real quick before we record. And you know what I did? Nothing. Didn't, didn't knock it out, huh? <laughs> I didn't do it. 
started another K-drama. Like, I needed that in my life. <laughs> uh, yes. So there you go. If you guys want to do my homework for me, go ahead and read that book <laughs> and let me know if I'd like it. It'd be great. Thank you all. But speaking of doing your homework and things that you're going to have to read soon, <laughs> let's talk about what's coming up. Uh, all right. So next week we've got another Animorphs book, which is it Visser? Is that what we're at? Mm-hmm. I think we're at Visser, right? Yeah, because we just did Proposal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Visser coming out uh, next week. Good stuff. And then the week after that, we are going to be going back to military sci-fi and we're gonna be wrapping that up hooray i found a few books that i kind of thought might work um but i decided to go with this one which is called um ancillary justice by ann leckie oh, um yes, and the reason is because the uh the the Description is, on a remote icy planet, the soldier known as Breck is drawing closer to completing her quest. Once, she was the Justice of Torin, a colossal starship with an artificial intelligence linking, linking thousands of soldiers and the servants of the Rock, the empire that conquered the galaxy. So it sounds a little bit murder y so I thought yeah. maybe we could go in that direction. And it is on, on a couple different military sci-fi lists. I was a little bit unsure because it doesn't seem to, like quite follow the like going to boot camp then going to fight the thing sort of like vibe of the ones that we've read mm-hmm. um but i don't know it's on some military sci-fi lists and it it looked interesting and uh seems like it might be a thing that you might like i have heard people say good things about this i've had it suggested to me actually before but you know me i was like mm, nah um Excellent. so Maybe that maybe those people will be proven correct that I actually did like this would like this book, or maybe you can shove this in their face after you read be it. Like, actually, here's a whole hour and a half podcast about why I hated it. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, <laughs> former friends. Shall <laughs> we lose all of our friends? <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, in the meantime, uh, Please do let us know in what order you would most like to stab a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Oh, aggregating platforms. I messed that up, guys. Hmm. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should because... It, because I know you, I know you recommended me Ancillary Justice, and I want to shove it in your face that I hated it. <laughs> if you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five star review. But if you don't, that's all right, because you're allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you would like. In the words of Agatha Christie, well, rather fruity, if you know what I mean. I mean, you'd smell it a hundred yards away. But mind you, this may have been earlier in the evening. You see, as you said just now, it was just one of those things you notice without noticing, so to speak. Sometime that evening, I said to myself, woman, scent, got it on pretty thick. <laughs> so fucking weird, Arbuthnot. <laughs> Arbuthnot. Whatever the fuck your name is. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> you sound like super thrilled already talking about the genre. I am trying to keep a very 
melodious radio voice going because uh-huh. I kind of started that when I started talking and I was like, ooh, this is fun. I hmm. feel so calm. I'm kind of calming myself out by doing this voice. Calming myself out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't need to be calmed down. I'm really interested to hear how your your rant on this book is going to sound, because I'm assuming there's going to be a rant. No, it's nothing to do with this book. It's to do with the fact that my girlfriend just dumped me and I'm having a moment. <laughs> the veneer will crack. <laughs> 